Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We're two girls obsessed with one thing, beauty. beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We're calling on our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. With a drink in hand. Definitely with a drink in hand. <laughs> You're listening to Lipstick on the Rim with Molly Sims. We're so excited to be here today with Deepika Chopra to talk about the science of happiness and optimism. She is a happy doctor. She blends holistic practices with evidence-based science to cultivate more optimism, success, hope, and resiliency. Coming out of this last year, I think we all, I mean, we all could use a little bit of Deepika Chopra in our lives. Welcome. We're so excited for you to be here. First of all, I am so happy to be here and just to be sitting across from you. And after this year, we were talking about it, actually recording a podcast, not from my bedroom. The other day with all of everything you were saying, um, I was recording a podcast episode for Looking Up. And I was like, I'm going to do all the things for the boys. And the last thing I'm going to do is change my clothes. I'll change out of my robe. (laughs) And so I showered. I put my robe back on because I was like, this is going to be messy. I have a seven-month-old and an almost four-year-old did all the breakfast, ran upstairs with five minutes to spare, got everything set up, sat down, and started asking my guests the first couple of questions, looked back at myself on the Zoom, and I was like, I forgot to change. I forgot to change out of my bedroom robe. Oh, well. Thank God she's a mom. <laughs> I did that the other day. I was on a Zoom and literally I had a great top on my makeup and I had, I think I had like literally like workout pants, but they were like the unflattering jogging workout. And my kid had come in and I had to get up from the Zoom, shut the door. And they were all behind me going like, you're not dressed on the bottom. <laughs> so I, I feel you. Yes. I feel you. Okay. Well, optimism, doctor. My background is that I have a doctorate in clinical health psychology, and I've been studying optimism and resiliency for over a decade now. And really, it all came about super organically. So uh, this whole process into doing what I do today was very nonlinear. My first job out the gate of undergrad was actually in investment banking. And then in the public health space, before that, I worked at a music punk label. (laughs) And I've always been interested in humans. Like I've just always been interested in humans, but I never, ever thought about psychology because I was the kid that went and saw the Titanic And Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet and didn't go to school for like eight days because I was just crying. And I just like couldn't hold 
and get through like other people's pain. I took it like a very highly sensitive individual over here, super emotional. And I just never thought that could be a path for me. I just was like, there's no way I can do that. And through really long story short, through really, really amazing um, mentorship in all my previous jobs, I kind of found my way into psychology. Um, It really was, I was in a managerial meeting in Calais, France for this public health company that I was working for. And they brought in an organizational psychologist. And the, the weekend just blew my mind. And I had an amazing mentor, my boss, who was just like, you really lit up with that. I think you're doing the wrong thing. I'm gonna go out on the limb and say it. I don't need you to, you know, give me two weeks, just like go do something in this space. So I went to UCLA undergrad and I went back there and I just knocked on every single door at Neuropsychiatric Institute there, begging someone to let me do something, anything. So I could really see if I wanted to dive into the master's program, which is all I was thinking at first. And I got two hits from that, two people that took a chance on me. And one was more research-based and the other one was clinical. And I worked with OCD patients in the program there for a summer while taking prereqs at SMC because I was not a psych undergrad major. And then long story short, fell in love with it, found my calling, went through the master's program and subsequently the doctorate program. Um, It's probably the only thing I actually started (laughs) and finished. (laughs) Wow. Even despite my family being like, uh, the doctorate's really long and you haven't really had the greatest track record of picking something up and finishing it. And it was really the first time, honestly, that, you know, I thought I was going to be a lawyer out of uh, undergrad. And I made this list and I still have the list. And I remember someone told me, make a list of all the reasons you want to go to law school. And I was not anywhere on the list. And getting into the psych world and, and doing psychology, it was only me on the list. It was everything that was making me tick. It was just like, I think all the things I'd, I'd questioned just in my own life, I was getting to know the answers of. And so there was, it was almost like the selfish piece of it. And the optimism stuff, well, that was also somewhat selfish. Um, You're like a a real happy doctor. When I was researching, I read this, I was scrolling because I was trying to find this thing I'd read because I was thinking about, it's called the secret superpowers of highly sensitive people. And sometimes, which I want to go into, but you, you said you were the girl who would watch the Titanic and would cry, and that would really affect her. Yes. Do you think being like a highly sensitive person, like that helped you get into learning more about psychology and how you felt and why you felt that way? Absolutely. What I learned, so I had all that fear going in being like, there's no way I can do this. I don't know how to turn off you know, the energy of being because with someone we, in the room. Yeah, when we think about a happy doctor, we no offense, we don't, we don't think about you crying. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, okay. That's exactly why I'm here today is to dispel a lot of like these notions of happiness, positivity, and optimism. But making that long story short, I have always grown up with this sort of, I was brought up by two very textbook optimistic parents. And then I'll describe to you what I define as optimism, textbook optimism. It actually isn't really about positivity, surprise, but it is a little bit, but not all of it. And I think I was just like searching for, I I was also that kid that was always like, I needed to know why everything. I was like, but why? What's the science behind it? Where's the proof? And so I think I used my graduate career in school to prove to myself things that I was already kind of doing, living a lifestyle I was already living, but I wanted to like understand why. 
uh, why it was real and true. And I couldn't really, so I was introduced to the idea of the law of attraction and Abraham Hicks when I was in high school from my best friend's mom. And Michelle and I are both shaking our head. Yes. And, but I was like that kid in high school where I'm like, whoa, like I'm really resonating with this. I'm like actually use, using it in my life. But like, I couldn't just, I couldn't wrap my brain around like where they were getting there information from and channeling it through this like spirit. It just wasn't like, I was like, no, but really like there's got to be something in the brain that's like this, this, there has to be some science behind this. I was just that annoying kid that was just like, I needed to know. And I was a bit of a science nerd. So I actually think I used selfishly my time in grad school, just proving to myself why some of these concepts that I was already using worked in a way that was more tangible and evidence-based to myself. And so, and I think the selfish part was you know, as I was researching and studying the brain so much during this time, like the field, although I owe everything to it and I would never change anything like going to school and getting all those thousands and thousands of clinical hours and that foundation, even though I don't use, I don't practice as a licensed clinical psychologist or anything right now. I've went out on my own, but I don't, I wouldn't change it. But I will say that I felt like the field was really antiquated. And the things that I was reading about the brain and, and so much I was coming up with at the time was that the brain is this anticipatory, future-oriented organ. So like everything was future-oriented, whether it was five minutes from now, a month from now, you know, moments from now or years from now. And so when you see something in front of you, your brain actually tells you what you see faster than your visual cortex actually tells you what it is. It's sort of like those little games that you can see online or find online where you can read a word and the letters can be missing or jumbled up, but you still can read the word. Mm -hmm. Or like when you think about eating something and your brain already releases the exact right amount of insulin to break down what it is that you are about to eat before you even eat it. So Isn't like our crazy, it's crazy. And so I was really baffled and perplexed why so many of the, the theoretical perspectives that we were being taught to work with our patients with were just past driven. Like everything was about like, but what was your relationship like as a child? <laughs> and all, all of those things, which I'm like, I think that's great. And there was a lot of benefit in that. But I was really more passionate about sitting across from someone and they may know where some of their behaviors came from or their core beliefs came from, but then like they're not working right now. And so then what? And I was obsessed with being people's, okay, but then what? So it was great for me to learn and know why you think you are the way you are. But I was so much more interested in being like, well, it's not working for you. So kind of like, not who cares, but sort of like, that's important. But what's really important is, you know, what can work now? I really became obsessed with that. Like, how can we help people have more positive future thoughts? And so when I say future, that positive future thoughts, anticipation, that's optimism. Mm -hmm. So it's about, you know, projecting something in the future that is going to go well. We'll be back after this quick break. Talking about happiness, I am always happier when I feel good. My mom always used to say, if you feel good, you look good. And if you look good, you feel good. And that starts with really taking care of yourself from the inside and out and eating clean and whole foods. Now, you guys have heard me talk about Sakara before. It's a plant-based company with all of you. Sakara is a nutritious company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. I've been using this program now for a few years when I'm prepping for a shoot, or honestly, I just want to feel less bloated and eat clean. Sakara isn't just healthy, but it actually tastes good. With Sakara, you get nutritious meals that nourish your body without ever sacrificing taste. I'm obsessed with their breakfast muffins and their lavender quesadillas and their detox bars. Honestly, 
I just flew back from New York and I had two on the way back. I am obsessed with them. They're honestly best for when you're on the go, along with delicious plant-rich meals. Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements, herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience their best-selling Metabolism Super Powder and Metabolism Super Bar to control sugar cravings, reduce bloating, boost energy, and reduce fatigue. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash lipstick or enter code lipstick at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash lipstick to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash lipstick. I'm Lexi. I'm Shannon. I'm Tiffany. And this is the 6 and 9 podcast. Family dinner is at 6 and pre-drinks are at 9. We're serving laughs, cocktails, and lots of stories we probably shouldn't share. In this multi-generational mother-daughter podcast, nothing is off the table. We're unfiltered, uncensored, and undone. You can catch a new episode of 6 and 9 every Tuesday anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you are invited. What tools do you suggest people when you counsel people, when you do your workshops? What tools do you suggest people use to increase optimism? So first of all, like I have to define what a true optimist is. So being optimistic and, you know, increasing optimism, despite what a lot of people think, is not just about being positive. It's really much more about resiliency and curiosity. And so a true optimist is someone that they see all the setbacks and the roadblocks and the less than ideal situations and the things that just are not going well because, hey, that is part of our human existence. We are going to experience that pretty much every day. And so to think that like, you know, an optimist or someone is just positive 24-7, 365, you know, days out of the year, experiencing joy and elation, barefoot running through a poppy field (laughs) is like, that's a nice, image and it's more of an Instagram feed, but it's actually really inhumane and it's it's detrimental because it makes us feel like we're failing at something. Well, and so it's like, oh, you got to be positive. Yeah. You got to be positive. Yeah. It's sometimes you're not positive, but it doesn't mean you're not optimistic. Right. So optimism is about someone that can hold the true authentic feeling that they're feeling, whether that's fear, worry, shame, guilt, anger, any of those feelings that don't feel good, they are in it authentically. They lean into it. But at the very same time, while they're still in it and feeling it and going through it and aware of it, they have some space for hope. And they have this idea that whatever they're going through is temporary and something that they have the ability to overcome, even if they don't know exactly how or when, but they know that they can. And so it's really based on all your years thus far of resiliency. And in order to build resiliency, you have to go through struggle. And so I actually will say that in order to increase optimism many times, it isn't really about the times that you're just happy. It's actually more so about the times that you've persevered and worked through struggle. And so this past year plus, I completely agree that globally we have all gone through this like collective sense of trauma. And it's been really hard for all of us for many different reasons and varying reasons. And But I wouldn't stop there. I would also say that globally and collectively, we've also gone through a period of resiliency. And so we have like built skills. We have surpassed limits that we never knew we could. We've worked out certain emotional muscles that we didn't even know we had. And all of that can't be erased. And so even though I, I don't want to ever go through another year like this again, it was really, really difficult in so many ways. And there was just so much loss in, in so many different ways. But 
now being where we are now, it's not over yet, but I can look back at it and say and, and understand where I've built my resiliency. And that's what I'm most passionate about right now is helping people sort of understand their resiliency. And that that's a muscle. Do you believe that there are people wired differently? Like I come from, I'm a very optimistic person. I've always been that way since I was a child. My father, who's a World War II, you know, baby, lost his mom when he was, you know, six years old, um, immigrated when he was 40. He's just struggled a lot in his life. And so he's always been a very pessimistic individual. And so I think he always says that he was wired differently, like genetically, he thinks. And then also just circumstance in his life just hardened him in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, for him, it was always the glasses half empty. I was always the glasses half full. So my, I have two questions, I guess. One is, do you think people are just wired in a certain way? And if they are wired in a certain way, how do you sort of help them see the silver lining in things? Because for someone like me, I know how to find the silver lining. I have no problems. Like I, that is what I do on a daily basis if there is a struggle. But for someone like that, that has had so many struggles, how do you help them find those silver linings? That is such a good question. And that's kind of one of the most common questions I get is sort of like, but isn't it that I'm either born optimistic or I'm not? And so the good news is that there's been a lot of research done on this and the research really kind of varies, but for the most part, it shows that there is a genetic component, but it's only around pretty much 25%. Really? And so the majority of it is actually something that we call learned. And for me, that majority piece is literally why I do what I do. And I believe that optimism is a muscle. And the other piece with that is, you know, actually most of us are more predisposed to be pessimistic. Because, you know, long, 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 way back when, time ago, our ancestors that were hunters and gatherers, you know, they were running away from saber-toothed tigers. And the ones that really constantly and chronically imagine the worst case scenarios are the ones that survived. Mm -hmm. And they passed that trait on. And so from an evolutionary perspective, we're actually a little more predisposed to be imagining worst case scenarios constantly. But in the type of world we live in today, there are still just as many predators and, and, you know, uh, things that are happening and, and threats, but they look a lot different. And we know that in today's society and world, constantly and chronically imagining the worst case scenario is actually really detrimental for our health. And it does not help us survive. And it certainly doesn't help us thrive. So that's why there's this like really distinct line between we are not talking about optimism as slapping on a positive bumper sticker on everything. We're really talking about this idea of resiliency and realism and authenticity. And so even when you talk about this idea of finding a silver lining, I always like to say that if you haven't found the silver lining, that's okay. Yeah, It's not really about, you know, this brings me back. I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, and this really brings me back to this idea that when people come to us with struggle, our friends, you know, our family, colleagues, whoever it is, someone that trusts us that is coming to us with a struggle, I think it's human nature for us on the other end of that to sort of be like, our job here is to fix this. Mm-hmm and to find a solution, and to sort of squash whatever it is they're feeling, make it go away, and cheer them up. And that that comes from a really nice intention. But I would go on a limb and say that most people that are actually coming to you or to someone with struggle is actually just looking for someone to listen to them, Mm -hmm. someone to support them, someone to make them feel less alone, someone to validate where they're at. 
And so the first line of defense, actually, I believe in building optimism and resiliency is really this idea of self-compassion and authenticity. And, and empathy. And, and empathy. having empathy for that person to, yes. to try to figure out where they're coming from and really validating how they're feeling. And that is the true difference between optimism and toxic positivity. Yeah. I, I'm like Emisha. I grew up in a very, very optimistic family. My parents got down to $5.87. He left his job, went on his own, and they literally started from nothing, two kids in diapers. We wore bookstore t-shirts. But again, because they struggled, Mm -hmm. they had so much optimism. They were both entrepreneurs together and separately. And the one thing that they taught me, and I I have this conversation with my husband all the time. I'm like, not every movie is going to be a hit. Mm -hmm. Not every, you're going to, some are going to work, some are not going to hurt. Some are not going to work. I think we sometimes have this like end expectation. It's like when a girl's dating a guy and they're going on a trip and it's going to look this way Mm -hmm. and be this way. And it's not, oh boy. Hi, motherhood. Hi, motherhood. You know what I mean? You have, exactly. Pregnancy. Pregnancy. And so I always worry when I talk to girls and women who expect it to go and be a certain way. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's you're going to struggle because it is, it's just, it doesn't work like that in life. I think the one thing I've learned about positivity, how you get into something, but more importantly, how you get out of something. I had a really, really, really bad breakup. And Emisha was there. I do not compartmentalize. I was very codependent. I could not, for the life of me, get out of this relationship. And much more important, where I was Mm -hmm. in my head. I was on Vegas. I was losing a lot of weight. I don't I'm not a depressive person, but she literally, I'm like a few people literally had to pull me out of this toxic, just awful place Mm -hmm. that I was. And it was the first time in my early 30s that I was, I felt like I was in trouble. I could Mm -hmm. not find that silver lining. I could not find, I couldn't get out. And again, it's what you said. It didn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. I started seeing glimmers of hope. I would go and sleep in her bed and fly to New York, and we would just do stupid things. I remember one time we like, what was it about the Starbucks? Actually, you flew here to help me. We won't say the we won't say the name. Yeah, we drove in the parking lot of a Starbucks that we knew someone frequented, and I have a fear of pigeons, and I refused to get out of the car because there was pigeons everywhere. And I share that fear with yeah, you. It was, by the there way. was some there, and we listened to Bob. Was it, who was the musician we listened to the entire weekend? I just remember I was like, I'm gonna slit my wrists if I listen to oh, this yeah. song one more time. It was time. Michelle Loki's favorite person, Bob Schneider. Bob Schneider. I was like, I can't. This is like the most. But you know what? She needed, I needed for her to sit in a car and drive around a Starbucks and listen to really sad, shitty music. Yes. And guess what? She didn't judge it. All she did was, let's get in the car. Let's do do this. And I mean, I was like crying. It was just, but again, I do think like, I think sometimes the expectations of what we think something's going to be or how it's going to turn out really leads us to a bad place. And I, I again, I am half, I, I make lemonade out of lemons. I really, but there are certain times, especially with motherhood, where I get, you know, what if he, had, what if he has leukemia? Mm-hmm. What if she's sick? What if she falls? We had a really bad fall that was really deep when my son's like 
all these moments. And it's it's really funny how you said it. it's like, it really never turns out how you think the worst case scenario mm-hmm. is. And I recently thought I was sick because my back was hurting. And I thought, oh my God, I have cancer. And, you know, she would just literally listen to me like, you don't have cancer. Don't worry. Like, but she let me talk it out. Mm-hmm. And I think by talking it out and just sometimes someone listening to me, whether it yeah. be a therapist or someone like you or your girlfriends or your parents, like that's half of it. Like yes. that's half of someone just being like, everything's going to be okay. And even if it's not, you yeah. know, like even if they, even if you don't believe them, so that like in that moment, if you don't actually think everything's going to be okay, but just like having someone or some place where you feel safe enough to fall apart is really important. And I I say this all the time. I am an optimism doctor, but I am not the most optimistic person. I am nobody's guru. I am not perfect at it. In fact, I think that there are people in my family that are far more optimistic than I am. I am, we all have, we all are on a continuum in terms of optimism and where our optimism factor really lies and different parts of our life, we're more optimistic than not. And some, sometimes that comes easier and sometimes it doesn't. For me, medical stuff is my Achilles heel. I am literally more like neurotic about I'm a medical crazy stuff than like uh, Woody Allen. <laughs> I, I might challenge you to that position. I mean, like I, I felt you on that. And that's why this year has been really tough. Um, any Any type of like cough I had for a second, if I had like a dry throat for a second or a sniffle or whatever it is. My husband was like, finally, you are not going to be the only one on a plane with wet wipes. And I was like, come on. Like that should have been happening way before. I mean, I am that person. When people bring bad energy into a situation, how do you cope with that? Mm -hmm. And how do you try to change that? That actually is a really good question. First of all, there's this like part of it we have to accept, which is that we are not here to change other people's energy but we are here to protect our own. And so it's that idea of like the elevator talk, like uh, this example of like, you know, people in a really um, busy office that ride an elevator up and down and you, you come, you know, you drive into work, you've listened to some really good music or a podcast, you're feeling great. You know, you got like perfect cup of coffee or for me tea, since I've never had coffee. Uh, <laughs> I know. What? Thought, I thought I'd throw that in there. And I've never had coffee. That's another podcast. Right? I've never wow. had coffee. I know. That's my little like interesting fact about me that you may not know, but now, but you get into that elevator and you sort of are feeling, you're feeling good. You're having a good day. You've done your like morning routine. You're feeling good. And then you get in and you see a colleague and they're just like, F this. This is the worst morning. Coffee spilled on me. There was traffic. Somebody cut me off. Like, I'm so pissed. I have eight things to do today that I only have time for two. Like, they're just, they're venting their experience and their emotions. And then as humans, what do we do? We usually, from a good intention or trying to be empathic, we try to match their story. And so we'll be like, oh, I know what you mean. I'm I'm so sorry. I had a really bad day, like, last Tuesday. And this is what happened to me. And then, like, you're telling that story. And guess what? Your entire mood your energy has now shifted and changed because you were trying to just, you know, you didn't feel right being like, well, I'm having a great day. Yeah. And so, but the, the truth is, why not? Like, not that we need to rub it in people's faces, but we have to start to get a little more protective. And it's really important to kind of like tell your story and watch your language and keep your story like in your own lane. Listen, be able to listen 
but not really allow it to have to match. And so you can be a great friend or a good colleague or whatever it is and hold your own your own situation. Yeah. I get out. I get into the, the, the that's why we were you know I'd read this article the secret superpowers of highly sensitive people because sometimes I give out too much energy you know and I love it and Emisha and I talk about it like and my husband's trying to help me in the past couple of years like there's only so many people you can help. Yes. And so or there's so like I'll be like oh try this that or try this coach or do this or try this but like. At the end of the day, sometimes I'm just so wiped that Mm -hmm. I don't have, like, I feel like my own energy, especially lately, is, like, my tank is done. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't have anything left. I was tired of doing the end of the year school. My businesses are starting to blow up in, like, Mm -hmm. certain ways. And, like, I just, I really feel lately I'm tapped out. Mm -hmm. I don't have it. Someone's got to start taking care of me. Someone's Mm got to start listening to me. Like, I really... And I feel it in a lot of levels in my life. And I don't know if it, like, and I'm normally very positive. And Em and I talk about this a lot. Like, sometimes we feel like, just like, take, take, everything, mm-hmm. like, take, take, take. Mom, 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 mm-hmm. mom. Like, and there's no, like, refilling of the tank. And, like, I am a really, really patient person. And Emisha, I think that's why we're also, like, she's a Leo and I'm a Gemini. I'm a Leo. Yeah, amazing. And I love it. And we just comfort, you comfort people and you love people. But again, it's like I have gotten lately to this place where I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I'm fucking tired. I cannot. Mm -hmm. And organization for me is really important. It's like therapy. So when I walk in a room and I see it organized or I see it in a disarray, literally can affect Mm -hmm. my, why is that? So I had this exact conversation with my sister yesterday. I, I like, I, I've just been on empty and done for a long time. And I keep feeling on the verge. I feel like I'm having a nervous breakdown. I told I'm my team, I'm like, I'm having a nervous breakdown. Like I'm having, yeah, I'm on the verge of burnout. And then I, I have to reach back in because listen, it's survival right now. I've got two kids that depend on me. We have no help. By the way, if you are a nanny out there, you're looking for a job please reach out to me. If you are looking to be an assistant, please reach out to me. Things are looking up, could use you. I'm literally a team of one right now. And there's only so much that one person can do. And I I have no real great answers in the space of, especially in the light of this year, being a mom and a working mom. I think we have been hit the hardest. You know, we're chefs, we're housekeepers, we're nannies, we're preschool teachers, we are business owners, we are wives, we are all these things. Daughter, I mean, and you can't be good at all of them. Believe me, I'm like, I am not a preschool teacher. And like, (laughs) there is no way I have, like, I have such a deep found respect for all of these different types of vocations now because I've had to do all of them and do all of them at once. And well, it's the old saying that everyone started saying during a pandemic, you're never going to put down a stay-at-home mom ever no. again. And I think that, that she wears right. are incredible. They're incredible. And there's so much invisible work that goes on, kind of like what you started with, with that text or whatever that you read or that meme. But like, there's so much invisible work that goes on in addition to all the work that's sort of more of our formal work. And I think that for me, what I've really learned and what I really talk about is I absolutely cannot stand the word balance. (laughs) I actually think balance is a laugh in your fucking face. 
And it is a word, especially for women. There's no such thing. And so it's this whole thing that we are placed upon and and even by other women to us that are just like, well, you just got to balance it. Well, what does balance mean? And so it's setting us up for like shame, failure. It's, It's this like unattainable, indescribable thing that's constantly changing. And we all are supposed to just be really good at it. And so I have learned and I've talk about it a lot, chuck out the word balance and replace the whole idea with another B word and it's boundaries. And so something more I don't have boundaries. Manageable. I, I got no boundaries. I don't know what's wrong with me. I've got no boundaries. Well, and that's the part. I and know. I think like the biggest part of burnout is that, and a lot of us don't really, that some of it comes with privilege. A lot of us don't have the ability because we literally like most everything is dependent upon you. And there's, there's, I don't even know how single parents do it out there right now. I am just in awe of you. Again, like I just think all these concepts and mental health in general right now, the one silver lining I think that has come out of all of this is we can't not talk about it anymore. It has been forefront of all of our lives for the last 12 plus months. And we are finally starting to talk about it you know, mental health is something we all have. And at times it's going to dip for all of us. At times it's going to be great. At times it's going to dip. It's something we all have in common. It's what makes us human. And so I think that working on boundaries is really important. And oftentimes it's not even going to be boundaries, you know, uh, between you and other people. It's going to be boundaries between you and yourself. I know. I know. I try to set those boundaries and I try to, you know, set those expectations. And sometimes I feel like if I do enough, if I give enough or set the situation up enough, like it'll come back to me. Mm -hmm. Guess what? It doesn't necessarily come Mm -hmm. back to me, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think it will. And that's Mm -hmm. why I'm a very patient person in terms of like, oh, you need this? Great. I'll make that happen. Oh, you want this? Okay, great. I'll try to make that happen. Recently, you know, even with like, I'm a room mom and and now I find myself, I'm, I'm, I'm hosting the, the, the party for the, I wasn't going to take it on. I told myself not to take it on. Guess who's throwing the party on Friday? You know what I mean? Like, I literally throwed a party in June for my kindergartner because I felt guilty. I felt bad that no one, we kind of like not made it happen. Mm-hmm. And I know I have no boundaries. I, I literally, it's something that— And, you know, the idea with boundaries are it is not easy for everyone to set them. Most of us that are having a lot of trouble are the ones that are having trouble setting boundaries. And it doesn't just come easy. I, I'm, I'm similar in that way as well. And I think that the key is really starting small and practicing it. Like, this all comes back to this idea of a muscle. And so there are boundaries like, okay, so our energy, you know, is our greatest currency. And so you have to take a look at your life and all the things that you're consuming. So like, we're not just talking about food, although that's something you're consuming. You know, we're talking about all the places you spend your energy. What kinds of articles are you reading? What social media accounts are you following? What friends are you hanging out with? Who are you talking on the phone to? Who are you spending your time texting? What are you doing for work? What kinds of, what is in your environment? Like, you know, all of these things you have to look at. Taking inventory. And I think another silver lining of this year is that a lot of the stuff that we were doing, the people we were seeing, like these extra activities we were doing that we felt we needed to do, like it was almost like this detox or like an elimination diet kind of. Everything stopped. And now we are like starting to put things in. And I would really urge people to like go slow, go really slow right now as you start putting things back into your life and actually take stock and stop during it and be like, how am I feeling right now? 
And like, you didn't do some of these things for over a year and it was okay. And it was okay. And it, it was, was okay. Actually, it was better than okay It might have been ways. better than okay. Like there are certain things I know for sure I'm leaving. Like they're not coming with me. I didn't need to 100%. do that. 100%. I think that there's actually, there's like a friend cleanse that I think a lot of people had over the last like year and change because, you know, we didn't see people for so long. And, you know, there is something to be said about the fact that like, I look at it, I don't need a lot of friends. Like mm-hmm. I like, I've had my friends that we've had, like our group of girlfriends we've had for a long time. And, you know, it's not a huge group. It's just a really special group of women. And to me, it's like, if you don't add value or I can't be honest or transparent with you and have a real conversation with you, then I don't need you in my life. You know, I think it's like one thing to have like your mom friends who you'll go out with and have a like, great time. You'll have a fun dinner and you have your drinks and it's great. And of course, that's like a wonderful thing to do because I think that's something you need. And that's, a positive thing after like maybe a stressful work week or something. But I think that a lot of people, like to me, it's boundaries with who, who am I going to connect with? Who am I going to, if I'm taking something out of my life, like I'm going to spend less time with my kids one night or my husband or whatever it is, if it's taking away from something in my life that is meaningful and I'm adding it, you know, I'm spending it with that person, they have to be worth it. They have to be someone that I want to invest that time into or else I'm not going to do it. And I think a lot of people took that time to to look at their friendships in the last year. I, I feel like I know I have. Absolutely. And it's okay to say no. You know what I mean? It's, it's I used there's to say, a power in saying no. RSVP no is one of the greatest forms of self-care. <laughs> and I, you know, there's actually research done. So we've all heard this saying of like happiness is contagious, but there's actual real scientific evidence to prove that. So our happiness is literally contagious within your networks of three degrees of separation. So really taking like this, I this thing that I like to call a network sweep and like writing down a list of the people you spend most of your time with and and like do you consider them happy do you consider them seeking happiness do you consider them you know joyful how do you feel around them and of course like we cannot discount that there are some people that need to be in your life and you know I not one of those people that's just like every single thing every person everything in your life you 100% choose there are some people that like yeah they're going to be in your life, even if like you may not have chosen them, but they're in your life and they're important to you. And there are certain obligations that we have, kind of like what you were talking about before, this idea of like, do they bring you joy? Do they, you know, give you life and energy? Do they exhaust you? And sometimes we have to do things that we're obligated to do, but how much of your life is an obligation? How much of the activities and energy that you spend, you know, your time on are obligations and how much are actually because you want to, or when you're really tired, but then you spend time with that one person and they like give you energy. Who's that? And so like really putting it on your list and being like, you know what, this person, I don't really see very often, but every time I hang out with them, I just like full belly laugh and it feels good. So hang out with them more. Every time I hang out with you, Emisha, I feel fucking awesome. Literally, that's how this podcast came about. What gave me, what would give me joy in to add something about else to your life? Beauty in a podcast. There's no other person in the world that I'd rather talk to than Emisha about exactly what we're doing now. I love that is that. literally, I asked myself the question because I was starting to get angst and I'm like, God, it's going to be just another job. Mm-hmm just another side hustle. Like I'm going to, oh God, it's something. And I don't, I really, it's, I'm really trying to change that. What do I want to do? Not what do I have to do. And so that our language, hard. that shift of language 
that perspective is one of our greatest tools as humans. And so I really focus on helping people with tools, you know, based on resources that we already have and perspective, just that, like shifting your language to like, what do I want to do? What do I get to do rather than what do I have to do? Just that alone shifting. But like, I always give say, us like a positive mantra, Emisha and I, that we can like t- just give us something. So then when I look in the mirror, I think this. So I actually have written a lot about this idea where this will be contrary to what a lot of people talk about. So I'm sure this might be a little controversial, but I don't actually believe in blanket statement affirmations. I actually, there's been a lot of research done that oftentimes they can actually be detrimental if you don't really believe them. Our brains are very smart. We are smart. We have to give ourselves more credit. If you hold a belief that you don't like yourself and someone tells you to stand in front of the mirror and just say, I love myself 10 times, your brain is going to start gathering all the evidence for the last 30 plus years of all the reasons why that's not true. And that's what it's trained to do. And so I think that for an affirmation, if you really want to use one, you have to believe it seven out of 10. You have to believe it has to be authentic and true. You have to rate it seven out of 10 that you actually believe it in order for me to tell someone to use it. But I will say that not necessarily a mantra, but a couple things that to leave you with, obviously things are looking up. Things are looking (laughs) up. That, you know, everything is temporary. That's something that always does help me. That's not just an affirmation. That's a truth of life. And then like this last one, which sounds like really simple, but I always say this to people and I almost feel like people need, for some reason, we as humans, myself included, it's almost like we need permission for this and we shouldn't have to, but if something brings you joy and it's not harmful to you or anybody else, do more of it. Doing a joyful, participating in a joyful activity, being joyful is not frivolous. It's not extra. It's not important. It's not selfish. It's actually positive survival. I love that. I love it. Well, we wouldn't love be a we wouldn't be a beauty podcast without right. having to ask you a few questions. She has a long, beautiful brunette. Her jewelry is magnificently placed. What do you love beauty? Do you love skincare? Because I kind of believe that you do. <laughs> so I do. I love skincare, but I am not a very I have to have things be really short in order for me to continuously do them. I, I'm always trying to be better at sort of self-discipline and doing things and doing them every day, but I'm just not that great of it, but I'm trying to work on it. And so for me, rituals are really, really, really important. I write about them, the science about them, I study them, but in order for them to really work and be effective, at least for me and a lot of people, they have to be short, they have to take less than a couple minutes, and they have to be, you know, things you can do from anywhere, anytime in order for you to actually be able to do them and carry them out. And so skincare-wise, I love trying new products. It's kind of part of my, I feel lucky and privileged enough that part of my like world, so much of the inner beauty, you know, is connected, outer beauty, inner beauty, all of it connected. And so I get to work with a lot of beauty brands and skincare brands and I get to try lots of fun stuff. But right now, I think my favorite product that I cannot live without, and it's actually part of my morning ritual. And it's also part now of my almost four-year-old's morning ritual is face sprays, facial sprays. I'm obsessed obsessed for many, many reasons, not just because I think they've got great stuff in them sometimes, but like I'm big on scent and aromatherapy and color therapy. I do a lot of this, the science behind them and now and rituals. And so I feel really great right when I wake up in the morning and I spray 
something on my face that's refreshing and wakes me up. And my son and I call it wake-up spray. I love it. And so we try different ones. Love and that. he's part of it too. And so and doing anything as a ritual with my son is obviously your, like a double ritual. What's your favorite wake-up spray? So I love, it's a, it's a small brand. It's called Poppy and Someday. Uh-huh. And they make a facial toner. And it has like a tiny little crystal at the bottom of it that like when you shake it, you hear it. But it's just like, it's wonderful. But I literally love all kinds of different ones. There's some that are more skincare oriented. I use um, Dr. Barbara Sturm's facial spray. I Some of the products that I'm, that I have like die hard about are, I always use, I'm big on cleansing. I think it's, and I have to work on this a little bit. I think it's because I'm a product of like, you know, I was a teen or like a young teen and stuff, you know, in the nineties. So I was like a noxema, you know? <laughs> and so like, I felt like I have to be stripped clean in order to feel clean. And so I'm working on like not having to be like, it has to be tingling and burning me to make sure it's working. But I love cleansing my face. I've said the same mantra every day, Sanskrit mantra that that my family taught me when I was seven. I've said it every morning when I washed my face since I was seven. And so it's part of my like, it's more of an emotional thing. I didn't know I was doing it at seven and that was going to be my ritual. But like I wash my face and say, recite the same Sanskrit mantra. The last line of it is tattooed on my wrist. And the first word of the last line is my, is my youngest son's name, Dio. So just like things that I, I believe that the best type of rituals have a physical component and emotional component. And the science really says that they're more powerful that way. So if you can pick something like while you put your eye cream on or I love blush because you have to smile when you put blush we on. Love blush. And smiling is a trick that tricks your brain into right. thinking that it's more happy and then your brain seeks out other things to prove it to be true. So I'm not a huge makeup person, but I love blush. And I'm really into... What blush are you wearing right now? I'm actually using one of two things because I don't know which one it might be, but I, I, these are my two favorites. I use Beauty Counter. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Date. And I use this company, Lawless, sent me some blush. And I'm obsessed with this one called Phoenix. Phoenix. So between the two of those, I use that. And I just recently, this is going to be one of those, like, I never drank coffee before things. But I just recently started wearing mascara. I had never really worn it before. But you have the best wing eyeliner on I've ever seen. And that is another thing that's new for me. That, because I ran out of my, I always use a black pencil. But I ran out of it. And I had seen that I had been gifted this great, black. What is it? What is that one? This one's Beauty Counter. Beautiful. And I used it and I was like, ah, the first couple times I'm like, I had to wipe it all off and use like a Q-tip because it went really wrong. But now I've gotten the hang of it. And so I, I love black eyeliner and the mask. I just started wearing mascara. I've tried out a couple I like, but I really like Thrive Cosmetics. Do you know she made a whole business? Everybody loves Thrive. On that mascara, it's like 30-something million. Just, I use it. It's that, She is new. To, my mother-in-law sent it to me. It's I amazing. had no idea what it was. And then all of a sudden, recently, she reached out to me, the founder, and was like, I just want to let you know that I bought a bunch of your cards randomly, and I love them. And I'm like, wait a second. Are you the founder of Thrive? Because I'm wearing your mascara right now, and I've never really worn mascara, and I'm obsessed with your mascara. And so I have this, like, love for her now. And we talk all the time on Instagram. Fantastic line. She's amazing. Clean line. Yeah. It's so it's good. Really Thrive great. Cosmetics. All right. Before we go, a little bit of rapid fire. What's your favorite flower? Ooh. Uh, I have to say two of them. Okay. White lilies and peonies. Ours are peonies. Yeah. I have some great peonies right now. So huge. They What's like your go-to up. cocktail? Okay. So I'm not the biggest drinker, but when I do, okay, my favorite drink, and I call it the things are looking up, there's no alcohol in it. 
but it's a black passion fruit unsweet iced tea with muddled oranges. I'm really specific, so I'm kind of annoying when I go somewhere. I want that. I will make you one. It sounds delicious. I will come over. I will have you over and make you them. They're so good. And then for a cocktail, again, not the biggest drinker, but I love a like mezcal, spicy, a little sweet, a little sour, like cocktail. I love it. I love a mezcal or like a, I'm a mezcal or tequila person if I'm going to drink something as a cocktail. What time did you go to bed last night? (laughs) I got into bed at like nine and my husband and I are watching the mayor of Easttown right now. Don't tell me. She's already finished finished it. I finished it. Okay. Do not. Mayor of Easttown, Kate Uh, Winslet. Kate Winslet. Everyone in the room is looking at it. I'm not. not, Did you finish it? Oh, God. Okay, it is so it. good. How do you like your tea? Oh, my I, I almost said, how do you like your coffee? I'm so glad you remembered that. So I'm a little bit of a self-proclaimed tea connoisseur. I'm obsessed with the ceremony of tea and the tradition of tea. Wherever we travel, I literally go to local tea shops and I source tea. And I have an entire, when we moved to our house, we actually had someone come and do like an organization, which by the way, was amazing. I've never had that before. Her name's Kendra. And she's, I think she's called Organized by Hand. She's amazing. She's become a friend. But she did our, like, you know, our kitchen and closet and stuff. And I was like, you know what? All I've ever wanted, because I collect tea, is I really want, like, a tea area. So our whole, like, one part of our pantry, which has, like, glass so I can see it, we have made, or I have made, it's only for me. Let's, it's for nobody else. <laughs> but I made this whole tea, <laughs> this whole tea section, tea area. My favorite tea is Mariage Ferret from Paris. Love. And my favorite tea of theirs is called Wedding Imperial. I love it brewed for exactly three and a half minutes. I like, if I could show you, like people think I'm crazy, but it's almost like if it rain, there was two raindrops. That's how much of either almond milk or if I'm really getting, like I'm feeling indulgent. Um, uh, what is that called? Half and half? Like a, two little droplets. Like it has to be really little droplets and a tiny bit of date syrup or sugar or honey if I'm being like indulgent. Otherwise, I just a straight, I love matcha straight. I love it. Just like with water. Last question. Um, we always end with this question, Emma Shen. I, if you could tell the 10-year-old Deepika any advice, hmm. what would you tell? What would you say to your 10-year-old self? I think I would definitely tell my 10-year-old self that kind of back to what I was saying before that nothing last forever. And so some like leading up, um, I, again, I was a very highly sensitive individual at 10. I found my diary recently from seven and I literally was writing about love and unrequited love. I think I, like, leading up at 10, if I could just prep myself for the years to come, a couple years to come after that, like really just that nothing lasts forever. And so when something's feeling really heavy and awful and feels like the entire world is wrong or like some, you know, when it's not going to last forever. And when something when feels amazing. Bob Schneider in a yes. parking lot of an old Starbucks. Or when something's feeling. Pigeons swarming the pigeons. car. When something's feeling amazing, same thing, really savor it. And like, it's not going to, it's not going to last forever. So really just like spend some time in there. Like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? Sound like all of that. You're the best. Can you come and live with us? Yeah, please. Can you? Yeah, please. Um, if you guys, if we can all day. be together and you guys can help um, take care of my, absolutely, by the way, like I have the best sons. They're like the most oh. loving, beautiful, like 
They're so amazing. Oh my God, I can't wait to meet them. We love, we love babies. We love you. You guys can find Deepika Chopra. I love your name. I'm not going to lie. Um, she has an amazing podcast called Looking Up podcast on Dear Media. And also, you guys, she created these optimism deck of cards that elevate your mindset. And I love that you have these because I do think, you know, manifestation is everything. I love everything that you do. I love that you're the happy doctor. I love that you work with brands for like visual imagery. And like, as you, you know, what you see before, Mm -hmm. you, you feel it before you see it. And I love, I love everything. You guys, this was so fun. And Michelle, I had a great time. I love it. I love yeah. living in the I can't. future. I think that's so great. I think that's such a great takeaway. Instead of thinking about the past, focus on the future, especially now. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. And also, I, you know, again, nothing lasts forever. And that those deep, dark, we call it, we mm-hmm. called it the deep, dark place, mm-hmm. the DD, the DDPs. Yeah, they, they, it didn't last forever. And even equally, I think what really taught me that has been motherhood. It's like, it's almost like reading your favorite book. I've had one book that I've read where I'm just like every page that I've turned of the book, I'm like equally, I'm excited to see what comes next, but I'm really sad that like, that means it's like one step closer to the end or like I have to like, or I'm sad for the page before. And motherhood has been like that. Like every day I'm so excited to wake up and see who my kids are going to be. And like, there's so many changes that happen when they're this small But I'm also like equally like really like mournful for the day before. And it's living in that liminal space of like excited about the future, but like, no, don't, don't grow up. And motherhood has really taught me about like savoring the moments, thinking and, and, and being hopeful about the future, but really spending time savoring the moments that are right in front of us right now. And, and I think that there's been a lot of research, if I could leave you with one last thing, where when you actually feel good. There's been a lot of research in optimism and positive mood and happiness and the science behind it that like a practice that you can do that actually shifts your brain and and changes the chemistry in your brain is spend like a one whole minute. Try 30 seconds. Try 15 seconds at first. When something feels good, stay in it longer. Like we just let these moments, we're very focused as humans on like improving things that aren't right or getting better at something or, you know, how can I like get to the next thing and want more or, or yeah, just improve on something that you're not doing well. But like when something's feeling really good or, or you've quote unquote manifested something and it's right in front of you, we don't really spend time actually celebrating our small wins or our big wins and, and giving ourselves the time, space and energy to like literally just marinate in it. And it's actually really good for your brain. So the next time you feel this like jolt or moment of joy, stop and be like, what is this joy? Where is it coming from? What is the joy? What's the quality of the joy? What does it feel like? What does the air feel like right now? Start like asking all of your senses and you're forcing yourself to stay in that a little bit longer. And it's really important and effective for your brain to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I I mean that. Listen, I didn't think this would go that way. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And I have a habit as well of like on to the next, yes. on to the next, on to the next. We all do. Thank you. Thank you my, so much. My son. It was so great to meet you. It was so good to meet you too. My little one, Gray, he said to me, I'm not a baby. And I, I whispered, I'm like, you'll always be my baby. That's what I tell Jack, my, my older son. He's going to be four in a couple weeks. And sometimes because we have the baby, he's like, I'm not a baby. And sometimes yeah. because we have the baby, he's like, I'm still a baby. Yeah. And I'm like, you are literally always 
going to be a baby. Mm-hmm. He's like, when I'm as tall as daddy, I'm like, yep, you're still going to be my baby. <laughs> totally. Brooks is still my baby. You're amazing. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure and check out um, Looking Up with Deepika because I think you can learn so much and and you really do give incredible advice. And I'm going to sign up for a workshop, a coaching session. Well, um, I can't wait to hear how you ritualize the cards. And a lot of times I, I use them with my kids. So, And the kids deck is next. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. As a reminder, everything we talked about will be on mollysims.com. Make sure and check out Deepika. You can also follow her on Instagram at um, Dr. Deepika Chopra. Um, Em, I love you. And I'll see you next week. Love you. Bye. I'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Lipstick on the Rim with Molly Sims and my ride or die, Emma Shagormali. We are so excited to bring you guys along on this journey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Lipstick on the Rim and Molly B. Sims or my website where you can dive just a little bit deeper into my favorite products, trends, and more at mollysims.com. This podcast is a production with Dear Media. Wanted to give a special thanks to my team, Ashley Gasparian, Schaefer Carrillo, Ashley Sanchez, and Michelle Harrison and everyone at Dear Media. Don't forget to listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on the fun. 